Hey, it's a Dog Walk Talk Summer Edition. Uh, Palmer is now a graduate. Congratulations to Palmer. A lot has changed since the last time we met. Uh, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban had a bit of an argument, and it's being addressed now at SEC Spring Meetings. And Kirby Smart is inching closer to that new contract. Jake, Roos, Palmer, Tom's joining me, guys. Uh, hope your summer's off to a great start. Oh, not bad. Not bad at all, man. Uh, you know, it's... I, I got a piece coming at Dogs HQ basically saying, hey, it all starts today, man. June 1st, uh, this is when recruiting kicks into high gear for the dogs. We'll get into that later in the show, but uh, big month on tap when it comes to that. And like you said, plenty to catch up on otherwise. Yeah, so far so good on my end. I mean, like you said, Kirby nearing a new contract. Jerry Moorhead has kind of hinted at that. That's, it should happen in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, and, you know, it certainly doesn't slow down on the team side of things. There's always something to talk about when it comes to the dogs. Hey, and, and we got Georgia baseball in the postseason headed up to Chapel Hill this weekend for the regional. So hopefully you go. I am. I am actually headed up there um, meeting meeting my mom up there who's a UNC grad, uh, UGA grad versus UNC grad in the Tom's family. But, you know, for the dog's sake, the last two times they've been in the tournament, they hosted – a regional here in Athens and lost to an ACC team. They're hoping to turn the tides here and head up to an ACC foe and uh, advance to the Super Regionals for the first time since 2008. I feel like uh, Georgia and North Carolina have some similarities. They're both Southern schools, both the state schools. Uh, campus is beautiful. Um, what's it like to be up there, and, and what are you looking forward to about the trip? Yeah, I, like you said, I think UNC and UGA are pretty similar uh, between Chapel Hill and Athens. Uh, you know, Athens has a little bit bigger of a feel to it. Maybe it's just the SEC and it just means more. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of similarities between those two schools, those two programs, those two towns. Uh, and, and I was talking about it with another beat writer uh, here recently. We were going through, uh, you know, some potential home and homes, and, and UNC was one that we mentioned uh, you know, as, as one that I think would be a great fit for Georgia, uh, you know, and, and for North Carolina. Um, I think that it's a town that folks would like to visit, uh, a, a school, a program that is that is on the rise here in football with Mac Brown uh, and, and certainly taking steps in the right direction in recruiting, as you know, Roos. Yeah, and uh, hey, similar basketball success, so they've got that going for them. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's really been uh, pretty comparable there. I think when you stack those resumes, uh, I, I, hard to hard to hard. They to had argue. they had MJ, MJ and Georgia had Herschel. How about right, that? right, right, no doubt. And and Georgia beat North Carolina when MJ was there. That's uh, true. Yep. And uh, I think that was '83. Yeah, the dogs will always have that going for them. Um, <laughs> So the ACC spring meetings, I don't even know if they have them, but if they do, they're nowhere near as exciting as the SECs. Uh, everything leading into this one going into Destin with the NIL feud between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher uh, now seems to have settled down. I think a reprimand from Greg Sankey goes a long way in calming those waters because he can't have a mutiny on his hands in his conference, especially when your conference is the greatest in the world. So... Um, before we touch on that, Palmer, can, can you just catch all the listeners up to speed on what you heard in Greensboro at the end of last week before the long Memorial Day weekend? Um, some big changes and a lot of money uh, being injected into the Georgia Athletics program. Yeah, so Georgia hosted its uh, you know spring board meetings for the Athletic Association board of directors jerry moorhead josh brooks on hand uh with a lot of other big wigs there in greensboro at the ritz on the shores of lake Oconee. uh wasn't lucky enough to get the invite to stay at the ritz had to you know b battle the drive each day uh but you know it was a, it was an exciting interesting meeting to go to um you know obviously an exciting time in georgia athletics you know, given the fact that the program, you know, is, is the athletic program as a whole is is doing really well, uh, you know, since that national championship. Obviously, that brings in a lot of money, 
they they are able to put that money, invest that into other programs. Um, you know, they, they've actually come up a little bit, uh, you know, with with a little bit extra money, and and, and they've been able to invest that, uh, you know, in facilities. We're we're going to see uh, Foley Field and and Turner Stadium, uh, you know, the softball facility get a renovation here before too long. The tennis center, uh, they're getting a completely new indoor facility uh, with six courts instead of the current four. Uh, that puts them back up to NCAA hosting standards, which I know Athens folks really do enjoy when the NCAA tournament here is here for uh, for tennis. Um, they should be hosting that in the men's side of things here before too long, um, you know, sometime later in, in this decade. Um but the big news, you know, from that would be um, the Sanford Stadium renovations. They have a two-phase project here that'll start after the 2022 football season. Uh, phase one will complete before the 2023 season, and then they will go into a second phase after the 2023 season uh, that'll be completed, and and the entire project is expected to be completed by 2024, the start of that season. Um, you know, they're, they're going to expand the gates. Um, they're going to make the bridge a part of the stadium. So for those that, uh, you know, like to run on game day or maybe, you know, stand on the bridge and try and watch the game, that's, that's going to be no more. That's going to be a part of the stadium on game day. You will still be able to drive through there, uh, you know, during the, during the normal times on campus. But that is going to be a part of the stadium on game day with gated areas, uh, you know, expanding the gates six and gates nine. Uh, they're going to have, you know, they're going from eight ticket lanes to 21. Um, so that is going to be one of the big areas where those wearing red and black can get into Sanford Stadium. Um, and, and then phase, that's all part of phase one. Phase two, they're expanding the concourse on the south side. Uh, right now, I think it's at like 10 feet, six inches or something. Uh, it, it's going to be more than doubled. It'll be 23 feet wide. Um, you know, for, for y'all that, you know, are on the north side, you know that that's a, uh, you know, big concourse area, a lot of room to walk. Uh, you know, you're not shoulder to shoulder. The south side is not as much so. Um, and, and so, you know, they're expanding that. They're going to go vertical a little bit, you know, create more some more luxury seating. We're losing our press box, uh, you know, the, the, you know, midfield seating there. Uh, but they're going to move us into a new press box and, you know, a little bit further down, uh, not nearly as corner ball, eight, you know, corner pocket eight ball uh, as as Auburn is. But, um, you know, it, it won't be the 50 yard line luxury seats that we've had the last couple of seasons. Those are going to be going to yeah, uh, it's such people a great paying view. for those. Yeah, but yeah, yeah such I mean, a great the, view. You knew that you knew that was coming at some point, man. I mean, they were not going to just keep giving us those for uh, for free. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and then obviously Kirby Smart and contract extension. Um, Josh Brooks is going to get a raise here. Um, you know, Jerry Moorhead described it. Um, you know, it's not time for a new contract for Josh Brooks, but given the work that he's done, he's been a busy man with with several coaching hires in his first year, year and a half. Um, you know men's basketball, women's basketball, track, softball. Um, They've had, you know, soccer. Um, They've had a ton of hires to make there. Um, And so, you know, another big thing was that they are taking all the money that they were putting into coaching. uh, That is is being spent in the uh, 2021-2022 fiscal year. They aren't carrying any of that over into next year so while other programs you know maybe paying off a buy-off from a uh, previous coach georgia is is getting that all done um so you know tom crane won't be receiving any paychecks from the university of georgia in 2023 um you know but obviously the the contract extension for kirby um you know they they do want to get that done both sides want to get that done it's it's a deal where they want um Kirby wants to be at Georgia for a long time, and Georgia is happy to have him uh, given the success that he's had. So my expectation, uh, you know, this is just a, a number based on uh, some of the other contracts we've seen, is is that Kirby's going to be receiving somewhere around $10 million a year, um, you know, maybe a little bit more. I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see him as the highest-paid coach in college football given – you know what he's accomplished in in his seven years six six seasons uh so far 
as he enters his seventh, um, you know, having won a national championship, having appeared in another, having won an SEC championship, dominating the SEC East that, that we may not see anymore. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's all uh, certainly good news for Georgia. Uh, Kirby's happy to be in Athens. Uh, and, and like I said, Georgia's happy to have him. And they're going to make that known in with some big bucks. Yeah, I'm thinking like 10.5, maybe sniffing a million. What do you think, Roos? Yeah, no, I think that that's completely doable. I mean, I think he's going to probably, you know, hey, listen, it's it's Jimmy Sexton, right? I mean, he's he's gonna. There's probably going to be a clause in here where you know there's going to be incentives to to hit, and you know uh, he'll probably get a little something in there about. Uh, being a top three paid amongst right uh, that's SEC what Saban coach. you know I mean it's, Saban you know, has, it's, um, right, exactly it's it's he's gonna put the kickers in so I mean look the reality is you don't have these stadium renovation talks you don't have these upgrades to other facilities without Kirby Smart so pay the guy whatever he wants I mean he's producing money for not only your athletic programs you're gonna see uh, enrollment spike because of this I mean it, it is what it is. I mean, do I think it's a crazy amount of money to pay anybody to do anything? Yes, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I, I get it, and uh, the revenue he's generating certainly, uh, certainly, certainly uh, earns it. Well, and one thing I will add is that he signed a contract. His original contract, he's not still working off his original contract uh, that he signed in 2016 when he came on as the coach. Uh, you know, he, he did sign an extension in tw- 2018 after that, run to the national championship, winning an SEC championship. That made him a top five paid coach in college football. Re- developments around the country, Mel Tucker, uh, Lincoln Riley, um, you know, Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Dabo, Jimbo, uh, you know, Ryan Day as well. We, I, I've just named seven coaches there that are receiving more money than Kirby right now. He's Right now, I think he's on the same level as Lane Kiffin in terms of what he's being paid, and obviously he's producing quite a bit more than that. So I would expect Kirby to get back up towards the top, uh, and, and like you said, would not surprise me one bit for there to be a clause written in there uh, you know, for him to you know, have to be paid one of the top three uh, you know, salaries in, in the sport. Well, and yeah, I, the wording I, I of a uh, Saban's contract. <clears throat> Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, was, I was saying I, I wrote something about this, and I think it's a, a really good message for Georgia to send. Uh, not that listen, Kirby probably wasn't going to go anywhere. I don't think anybody had any delusions that he was, you know, checking out other jobs or anything like that. I mean, we've heard his name kicked around for his NFL opportunities before, and maybe the idea of testing those waters. But I think you extend him, you give Todd Munkin this huge raise, and I think that uh, you know it sends a great message moving into, like I said, this big recruiting month that Georgia has coming up. That there's a lot of solidity around this program. It's going to ease a lot of concerns. Kids might have parents might have and um, I think it's pretty savvy look it's not done yet but I think the timing of when they're kind of starting to leak these things and discuss them in the public uh, not really a uh, not really anything other than calculated in my opinion I mean it's interesting because traditionally we've heard every few years right like Saban might be looking at Texas Saban might be going back to the NFL I think that's going to be a tougher sell as it relates to like negotiating Kirby's contract, because obviously he does love Georgia. Um, but I still wouldn't be surprised if we heard some of those rumors as his career advances uh, at UGA to, you know, hear rumors about Kirby looking at other jobs, Kirby dabbling with the NFL, especially now because he's on the record saying that college football is a hard job. You know, co- college football is getting more difficult with. NIL with the transfer portal. So, I mean, uh, that, that's good, not going to shock me one bit. No, Matt Luke, a good friend of his, is an offensive line coach, just walks away from the game. I mean, you know, just uh, kind of steps out on his own. So, you know, I think that we are. We're seeing a, a, a bit of an unprecedented time in terms of how guys are handling these situations. And like you said, I mean, you know, the NFL comes with its own set of challenges, but one of them is you don't have to recruit the players. You know, that's somebody else's job to get them in. You just coach them up when they get there. So it's not the 
24 and you don't have to recruit them when when they're already on your roster right right exactly sure and uh you know if they want endorsements hey that's on them too to go find uh you know if they don't get their license renewed or they get stopped for a, a speeding ticket uh hey that's on them that that's not a reflection <laughs> of your program at that point you know so I, I understand the lures, and I think that Wesley, I think you're right on track. I think that he will get some of those calls. I think we'll hear some of those rumors. And, you know, the reality is the, the agent's got to drum some of that up in order to uh, keep things interesting, keep it spicy, and, you know, get those boosters uh, to open those wallets up a little bit wider. Yeah, Jimmy Sexton is the best in the business for a reason, um, and that's, that's what he does. That's how he plays the game. Um, so speaking of all of those NIL issues, you know, we go into SEC spring meetings now. Every week there's a new angle on how NIL is going to ruin college football or about how the transfer portal should work. Um, I talked to David Pollock at his charity golf deal last week, you know, and he's kind of on track of saying what a lot of the coaches think. There should be basically two windows for NIL, or the transfer portal. You, you can't just be transferring all year long uh, because how, how can you even – coach a team and also keep your thumb on that so that seems to be an idea that I'm not saying it's it's imminent or anything but that seems to be really floating out there a lot more often as something that could quote unquote fix what's wrong with the transfer portal I mean there's I don't know that there's there I don't know that there are any easy fixes to this the problem and it's the problem that I've been talking about all along the NCAA does not want to deal with this stuff. And so they're trying to pass nope. the buck. They're trying to pass the buck to somebody else and nobody else wants to pick up the buck. So they're relying on Congress. I, I like to think Congress has bigger things to worry about than NIL, um, but perhaps they could you know find a little common ground there. But it, everybody's just punting it back and forth. And until that stops, I don't think that we've got any real solutions to it. I, but it's interesting, I saw, um, uh, it was uh, Andy Staples uh, tweeted yesterday, and he said, I'm finding uh, that the amount a coach complains about NIL is inversely proportional to the amount of time left in his working life. Billy Napier is 42, and he's got a long, he's got a long time left to work. And I think that you will see that kind of reflected in his comments. I thought that that was at least an interesting theory, that people are dealing with it differently based on where they are in their careers. And I think that you're seeing, though, a lot of guys – play it savvy uh you know i don't think when you think nil obviously okay you obviously you think texas a&m right that's that's on everybody's mind for any number of reasons justified or not kirby and georgia you don't you just don't hear as much about it and i'm not saying that they're not doing it obviously brock bowers has brokered some deals jt daniels has brokered some deals but it's a situation where it's I don't know it's a tale of two cities it's like how how everybody's handling it is so strange to me and I think that we'll see probably in the next couple of years that it was a calculated move all along from you know these guys who chose these different paths and why they went these directions I think Kirby's I think Kirby's I, I this is no inside information but I think that Kirby probably has some hesitation about how this thing's going to look in two to three years and wants to you know act accordingly uh and and base his decisions and how he uh you know works guys into those deals uh based on that personally yeah he's not very reactionary and you know i've spoken to the classic city collective guys a good bit and they seem to have a better model for how this is going to work with georgia um with matt hibbs formally working at georgia i mean georgia couldn't find anybody better uh that they trust more because they already know how he operates and i think they trust that his you know former workings in compliance are going to help georgia out and spare them some embarrassment of places like tennessee's collectives you know georgia has one that they have really worked with a lot of the donors uh to really just rally around one of them uh tennessee I think it reflects how desperate they are as a program to get back on track because they have multiple. It's just guys starting it up, uh, starting things up to pile in money. And what's going to happen if the recruits that, you know, they, they're, they're not, you know, on the record inducing them to come to Tennessee, 
Um, but that's the perception, and it's hard to really prove a lot. <laughs> Once perception is out there, it's hard to change people's mind on that. And that seems to be how Tennessee's operating. And what happens if that's the way it's going and these players don't pan out? What if they're terrible? What if they're busts? I, you know, I've, I've been, are you going to yes, continue to get that money into that collective or are guys going to get gun shy? Are they going to double down and, and you know, continue to, to invest in guys that, that don't work out? I mean, it might win you a game or two, but it's not going to win you a championship. Sure. No, I completely agree. And, and I've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. I think that we're due probably within the next I don't I don't think it'll happen this year, but I would say within the next three years we'll see the NIL market correct itself. I don't think that you'll see people gunning for okay, let's give just as a weird example, maybe you wanted to give eight million dollars to a freshman, maybe. All right, a, a guy to sign, a, an inducement, as you will. Um I think you're going to start to see that money trickle up the line. I think you'll see it go to more established players. I think you'll and see that's it what it should be. And I think exactly. that's what the the responsible collectives are trying to make it. It's not I think, give I think give it money will, to I a recruit it, so he comes. I think it will happen naturally. I really do. I think it will. I because I don't. I think anybody with any business sense is going to say this is this is dumb. We're we're pouring money into unknown commodities that may or may not pan out. I mean. Listen, uh, you know, God bless Jacob Eason, but if you had given Jacob Eason $5 million as a freshman, which is, I mean, he wasn't worth that necessarily. I don't know that anybody is as a college freshman, but he would have probably had some a nice chunk of change. Everybody would have probably been opening up the wallets for Jacob Eason at that time. It didn't go the way that he hoped it would. Uh, he moved on, and... That's just sunk cost at that point if you're a business. And I just don't I don't see how that's a sustainable model for anybody. And like you said, Wes, I think that that's how it should be. I think that we'll see it go that way, move up the ladder rather than going to these younger guys. And uh, personally, I, I, I think that that will uh, soothe a lot of uh, the minds around this when that starts to happen. But I, that's that's my gut feeling on what's going to happen as well. Yeah, and I thought Kirby had a really good quote uh, when asked about the importance of NIL and recruiting yesterday at SEC spring meetings. Um, and he was talking about, you know, he was asked about how much it changes things, how much recruiting is and NIL is now, you know, intertwined with recruiting. And he said, um, you know, I don't know how much NIL will change. It's changing the narrative for the player because I make a conscious effort to ask kids when they come in to meet, what's the imp most important thing to you? Uh, that certainly has transitioned in the recent years from kids would say playing time, kids would say ability to win a championship, kids would say proximity to home, relationship with my coach. Now a lot of times that resolves around what can I make in NIL, and I don't hmm. know. Some would argue that maybe it should be that way. I don't think that that should be on the basis – that should be the basis of your decision on where to go to school solely based on what you make in terms of NIL. Um, and, and essentially he said, you know, went on to say, we have to decide whether we want to continue to recruit these kids that are so NIL focused. Obviously the kids, you know, that George is trying to pull in the four high fours and, and five stars. Those are going to be the more marketable guys. Uh, but at the same time, Kirby wants these guys to keep the main thing, the main thing. He, he wants them to, uh, you know, be focused on football, be focused on the team. I think that, you know, in, in the first year of NIL, I think that's one thing that we really saw with Georgia is that they maintain their focus on the field, not necessarily off the field. I, I absolutely believe that some of these players were doing NIL deals, but they not, weren't necessarily making it public, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the center of attention. Their, their focus was on the field, going to win a championship. It paid off for them. Uh, and, and I think Kirby saw that and saw how NIL may have negatively affected some other programs, um, you know, be it through guys entering the transfer portal, you know, trying to get NIL money from other schools, from other programs, uh, you know, try and, you know, see what their market value is worth. Uh, you know, he saw how other coaches were focused on it um, solely as opposed to he wants to keep – uh, you know, keep the focus on the field. And, and I think that 
that is reflective in his recruiting model here where he's trying to find kids that still have the right priorities. Uh, you know, they, they want to come in, they want to play, they want to win championships. Uh, you know, they, they want to build strong relationships. It's not just all about the money to them. And I think that Kirby said that very well yesterday uh, at SEC spring meetings. Well, we'll talk yep. a little bit about those recruits here in just a minute. Yep. Let's uh, take a quick break and we will continue this dog walk talk right after this. All right. So, Jake, you just teased us. Let's hear about the recruits. You rubbed your hands together. You have a fire in your eyes, man. It's recruiting season, and it's talking season. We talked about talking season. Let's talk about some of these dogs' recruits. Yeah, uh, like I said, man, um, June is a huge month for Georgia. Um, one of the biggest that I can remember since I've been doing this, eight years now, um, this is a major, major month. Primarily because Georgia's been, uh, I don't want to say gun-shy, but – I think that there's a want for them to get these guys in, evaluate them closely, spend time with them and their families, and really get to know these guys. Because like Palmer was saying in the last segment, you want to make sure that you're getting guys who match the culture of what you're doing and, and fit your priorities as well. Um, but they're going to have, uh, you know, I wrote this uh, over on Dogs HQ. You can pick your reason why this is uh, such an important weekend for Georgia. Um Obviously, Arch Manning is coming to town. That's always going to bring eyes on your program. It, eyes are going to follow him wherever he goes for the rest of his life, regardless of how his football career even turns out. He's going to be somebody in the public spotlight. Georgia will get the first official visit of Arch Manning's career um, this weekend. I think it's really crucial. I think it's a, a really impactful visit for Arch. Um, I don't think he's taking official visits just to take official visits. Um, you know, and if you're following things closely, you've seen that uh, Alabama accepted a uh, commitment from a four-star quarterback in Eli Holstein last week. Um, that changes things, uh, not maybe to a great deal. We felt like this was a Georgia-Texas battle, and it certainly only kind of ups that perception. Um, he says he's still going to take that visit to Alabama. We'll see. I think he will follow through with it, but... Um, you know, this feels like Georgia, Texas right now. My thing is with Arch and the rest of these guys, and I will touch on another couple names, but you've got a chance here to set the bar. You've got to be the chance. You've got the chance here to be the measuring stick uh, for the rest of these official visits. Guys are going to come to Georgia first, and they're going to go to each of these subsequent visits, and they're going to be able to say, "All right, how did that compare to what I saw last week at Georgia? How did that compare to what I saw a month ago at Georgia?" They've got a chance to set the standard, and I think that that's a really, really interesting and good place to be in. I think it's probably what Kirby Smart would want. You either, in this era, I think you either want the first or the last visit. Um, and with Arch, you want him to come whenever he can, so it doesn't really matter with him necessarily. But you've got uh, Manning on campus this weekend. Georgia's top running back target and Justice Haynes will be in town. Uh, feeling good about where Georgia stands there, have been for a long time. Florida making this one interesting, but uh, not too worried about that right now. I think that the dog's legacy will come through for them, but uh, you know he's going to get out, take his trips, do his due diligence. Uh, and, you know, he's a smart kid. I, I've got something coming with his trainer that talks about what makes him tick. And, um, you know, Justice is a guy that uh, I think matches a lot of those priorities that Georgia's seeking, uh, even aside from being a Georgia legacy. Um, Caleb Downs is in town uh, this weekend, top safety target on Georgia's board, uh, maybe the top overall defensive back target on Georgia's board, in my opinion. Uh obviously one of the best players in the nation, the number one safety in America out of Mill Creek High School. Georgia's made him a big priority. Unfortunately for them, Alabama and Ohio State have really kind of closed that gap over the course of the spring. Um, it felt like Georgia was kind of really running away with it back in February. Um, the Crimson Tide and Buckeyes really have stepped this one up. Uh, going to be an interesting race for Caleb, I think, down the stretch. Uh, but like I said, Georgia gets a chance to set the standard this weekend. That relationship with Will Muschamp going to be crucial there. And then, uh, you know, outside of them, uh, you got several other highly rated guys. We'll cover all the names over at Dogs HQ. Raylan Wilson's another guy I'm watching. Uh, the Michigan commit at linebacker. Georgia targeting him very heavily. That inside linebacker position going to be really interesting to watch moving He's not forward. shy about how much he still likes Georgia. 
no, 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 he's not. He um, he was quite open uh, when we last spoke about it. So he, um, you know, I, I think, that, like I said, to me, this is uh, one of the biggest recruiting weeks uh, for Georgia of the year um, because of the quality and the caliber of guys you've got coming in, the number of guys you've got coming in. And don't forget that this is all happening simultaneously with camps on campus. So guys are coming in. You're going to see a flurry of offers over the next week to two weeks, I think, coming out of these camps when they have a chance to get these guys in person. Okay, is this guy really is this guy really 6'1", or is he more like 5'10"? Uh, you know, is this guy really, you know, 330 or is he more like 280? Um, you know, it, it, there's, it, this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to uh, the, the actual numbers. And I think that uh, Georgia, uh, I've said this before and I stand by it, these Georgia coaches trust their in-person evals as much as anybody out there. I think that's why things have been a little slow on the recruiting trail personally, because I don't think that they've been prepared to accept commitments from some of the guys out there. I think they want to get them in, evaluate them in person, have a chance to watch them run, go through the drills. How does he interact with guys around this program? How does he treat these people? Is he a guy who's interacting with teammates and is he leading the way? Is he vocal? Or is this a guy who's standing on the sidelines, playing on his phone, you know, researching NIL collectives. So I, I think that uh, you, you learn a lot through these tweets, and it's, uh, I think it's going to be a, a big one for Georgia, for sure. What's well, Jake, the, uh... and, and, and you point out the interactions with teammates. Georgia's got a ton of commits in town this weekend, too, sure. right? I mean, sure. yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I think that's a big deal. Uh, you know, how, how do these guys interact with the guys that they will be playing with? Um, sure. You know, I, I think that that's always a big deal when you've got a bunch of commits in town, um, and, and, you know, they can sell what they've already been sold on, uh, you know, what they've already bought into, but that you can also see how the, you know, how the class could look together. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was that first weekend in June last summer that Georgia had Gunnar Stockton, Denylon Morissette, Oscar Delp, Branson Robinson, a bunch of guys that ended up being in this class. Um, right. you know, Jalen Walker was there, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, the, the, the CJ Washington, I, I think it's big when you can get a lot of these guys on in town on campus the same weekend, you know, a, a good mix of guys that they're still recruiting hard and, and, and some of those guys that have already bought in. Um, you know, I, I think that when you can mesh those two together, it has the making to be a special weekend. Well, and I don't think it's any surprise that you see Pierce Sperlin coming back for his official visit at the same time. Arch Manning's on campus for his official visit. Those two visited when, uh, uh, gosh, what was it? Back in August, September, whenever uh, Arch took that visit, uh, when Georgia played South Carolina, uh, Pierce was on campus. They were sit seen together, spent some time together. I think that, like you said, that's impactful to have those guys around and selling your product for you. Um, you know, Raymond Cottrell is going to be in town, the wide receiver commit. Well, Lost hey, lucky. Arch Manning, if you're coming, you're going to be throwing to Raymond Cottrell. That's one of the guys that you're going to be working with. Lawson Lucky's another guy you're going to be throwing to. Um, so I think that it is. It's important to have those guys there and in place. And um, the reality, though, is this is going to be every weekend in June. Um, it, you know, they're not all going to have Arch Manning, but they're all going to have big, big names around them. Uh, so there's plenty to stay tuned to on the recruiting front uh, for Dogs HQ uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, and uh, make sure that you do. But, uh, you know, those are not the only guys on campus, I guess, uh, to uh, segue us further. Yeah, summer in Athens is a, is a great time, special time. It's a little slower for the people that live around here, so grateful for that. Um, but it's also just a great college town regardless of when you're here. So that's the thing that Arch Manning is looking for the most, you know, he's still going to enjoy that even when school is out. Uh, Jake, I'm, I'm fascinated with the player evaluations that you mentioned. It sounds like an NFL, almost like an NFL combine every single time recruits are on campus. Is that the responsibility of every Georgia assistant coach or are there some big dogs that Kirby's tabbed as just being better at that than others? You know, I think that that's the responsibility of everybody. Uh, you know, I think that there's probably because guys they're they're really good at it. I mean, they're they yeah. are the best at it. It seems like. Yeah, I, well, but you know, I think a lot of that legwork is done behind the scenes, and that's what's important. And I think people don't realize. You know, we see Todd Hartley out there, you know, pulling in these guys. 
the fact of the matter is, those guys, that, you know, Todd Hartley, Chadero Uzo Duribe, uh, Stacy Searles, they've got an army of dudes under them who have been watching film, evaluating the tape on these kids. So when those kids come in, they say, hey, look, 347 over there, we've watched the tape on him. We need to study him in person today because we, we, this is a guy that we think is close. Um, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time in, in these evaluations. And like you said, uh, George is good at it, man. They hit on these. And uh, I think that that's why they value them so much because they have really been able to get the results that they want by taking the guys that their eyes tell them they should take. Um, Jordan Davis is a guy, obviously, who panned out incredibly well for Georgia, uh, but was not the most highly recruited guy, was not a guy who played a lot of defensive tackle even in high school. He was mostly an offensive lineman his senior year. They trusted when they got him in that they had something special from a size perspective, from an athleticism perspective. Obviously, it came to bear, um, but it's guys like that who make all the difference. And I think that, um, you know, that's why they trust these things so much. Like you said, it is like an NFL combine. That's what they're going to do. They're going to put these kids in shorts and shirts and say, hey, go out there, bust off a 40, hit a vertical jump. You know, let's see how you're doing a cone drill. How did, how do you move? And, uh, you know, if there's a kid who's close, this is kind of a make or break thing for him. And, uh, rightfully so. I, I think that it's, it's important to Georgia. Uh, it's important to Kirby smart. They'll have, um, you know, they'll, the other thing is they're going to have those official visitors there almost to weigh these guys up against. So it's like, all right, yeah, we've got Raylan Wilson on campus. Well, we've also now got this six, one linebacker from, you know, Baxley, who's, out here busting off a 4-3, how do those guys compare? And I think that it gives you a chance to see do those things in real time. Obviously, you're never going to turn down a guy like Raylan Wilson if he wants to come, but it gives you sort of a measuring stick to set those guys up against, and I think that that can be really important as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, fascinating insight um, just to see uh, and learn how this machine is working right now because it's humming. Uh, one more recruiting question before we wrap up. Uh, how important is Matt Luke still to Arch Manning's recruitment? I saw him at Pollock's golf thing. He was playing with Mike Bobo and their group, and he's playing a lot of golf right now uh, and, and hanging out with his kids a lot more. But he's still in Athens. His family loves this place. Obviously, he's an Ole Miss dude, but Ole Miss isn't really in the running anymore for Arch Manning. So how important is that relationship and that Manning tie still in Arch's recruitment? Um, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it matters as much. Um, now I'll tell you this, if Matt Luke were still at Ole Miss, I think that that would be a huge boost for Ole Miss. But I think the fact that he's in Athens still is a good sign for Georgia. And certainly I think the Manning family feels like, or at least from what I've been able to gather that, you know, that's a guy that they feel they can trust and they can listen to and they can, you know, kind of rely on what Matt Luke has to say. And I'm sure, you know, given everything that happened over the course of his tenure at Georgia from a national championship to reeling in, you know, five-star players, I mean, He's going to be able to sign off on the validity of like, look, this is not a fluke. This is not a one-time thing. I know how this machine operates inside and out. These guys are real deal. I think that's impactful. I think that his word there is impactful. I don't know that necessarily his being in Athens still matters, but I think that his endorsement of the Georgia program is very good for Georgia's chances down the line with Arch Manning. Um, because like I said, he's a, he's a guy that they trust. And they're savvy enough to know that there probably aren't a lot of guys out there that they can trust um, <laughs> when it comes to these coaches. Anybody is going to tell Arch Manning anything he wants to hear in order to get him on their campus, period, point blank. I mean, what do you need? How can we get it there? You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. We'll start you as a freshman, da 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 Doesn't matter. Uh, Matt Luke, I think, provides Georgia a sense of um, – not necessarily an unbiased voice because he's going to have his own opinions about you know his time and, and how this program is but i think that they, he's a guy who's been enough he's been several places he's been where they've been he's seen the old miss side of things they they trust him i as from what i've gathered and i think that like i said his endorsement can be a big one for georgia for sure 
Yeah, I kind of put you on the spot there, but I was just curious about it when I saw him, you know, connecting those dots and and learning, you know, that he's still around. I just wondered if it made a difference. Um, All right, so one final deal that I think, you know, as as we wrap up SEC spring meetings in a few days – we're looking at the divisions. We're looking at how the conference is going to look as it expands with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Georgia's, you know, schedule year in and year out is going to look different. We don't know how yet, but Georgia could potentially be, you know, missing out on an annual opponent, whether it's an Eastern rival or, or Auburn, uh, year in and year out. So if Georgia's going to miss out on an opponent, who are y'all going to miss the most on Georgia's schedule and who do you feel like should be untouchable on Georgia's schedule? I'll get us started here. Um, are we just naming one? Because I get the feeling I'm a bigger fan of the three six model as opposed to the one seven. Um, the two what models that that are kind of what is what what yeah. are the the different models? I, I don't know what that means yes. at all. So, so the two models that are kind of in discussion here, um, it, it does seem that the SEC is going to do away with the divisions. Uh, they're going to go to a one-division model where they are going to, you know, have more – to create more variability in scheduling and such. Um, it, 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 the two that are kind of the most prominently discussed are the 1-7 model where you have one protected opponent – and seven rotating opponents. You play eight conference games a season, and you would still play four, uh, you know, non-conference opponents like they do now. Um, that way, you play everybody in the conference. Um, you, obviously, you have that one protected opponent, uh, but the other fifth, fourteen teams you play over the course of two years. So it's not the pods. Of, it would like even the. It is. It's not pods. Right. You would have just one opponent that you would protect. Um, I would assume with Georgia that would be Florida. Uh, you know, you, the SEC is going to want to protect those rivalries. They're not going to get rid of the Iron Bowl. They're not going to get rid of Georgia, Florida. Um, they're not going to get rid of Oklahoma and Texas with those two coming in. Um, you know, I, I I get the sense that because there are so many rivalries that people want to protect um you know when when you talk about oklahoma uh, you know when, when you talk about georgia for example you've got auburn you've got florida there you can't protect both those in that one seven model um you know with alabama you've got you know with with auburn you've got alabama and georgia can't protect both those in a one seven Alabama, you've got Tennessee, you've got Auburn, you know, Tennessee, you've got Florida and, and Alabama. Obviously those four really seem to have several rivalries that, that people want to protect. And those are probably the most notable rivalries that the conference has. Uh, but you know, as, as you go further West, you know, you can add in, you know, in you bring a, Texas, Texas in a, A&M back. Exactly. In a, in a three, six model, you can bring that back while still protecting uh, the Red River Shootout, um, you know, because we, we, we refer to things by their, you know, traditional rivalry names, <laughs> the shootout and the cocktail, the cocktail party, party. Uh, n- not the Red River rivalry uh, or, or just Georgia, Florida. Um, so I'm a bigger fan of the three, six model where, you know, again, you have three protected opponents and six rotating still, you, you know, you, th- that does move the SEC to a nine game conference schedule, um, where, you know, you would be playing one less non-conference game. But Kirby said, you know, yesterday, uh, you know, he, he's, he's not necessarily a fan of a 1-7 or a 3-6. He's a fan of Georgia playing in big games. And, and whether that's, you know, a non-conference opponent that they're going to schedule, uh, you know, down the line, that they've got scheduled down the line, uh, several big matchups there, uh, or whether it's adding another SEC game, he wants to see the University of Georgia playing big football games I'm a bigger fan of the three-six model because, like we said, uh, you can protect some of those more of those rivalries, and and, and you can create more rivalries too. Um, but at the same time, you do get that you still get that scheduling variability. You still get the ability to play every team every two years. And, and, and honestly, as as a recent college graduate, another thing that's big to me is being able to play in every place every four years. Um, you know, you. Georgia hasn't still hasn't been to College Station. That would happen every four years. Oxford, LSU, uh, you know Tuscaloosa, some of those places that Georgia has not. You know, add in Texas and Oklahoma too. 
um, you know, with them coming in, Georgia would get to go to, you know, Austin or, or um, Norman. I was blanking there for a second. Uh, Austin or Norman every four years. And, and so it, I'm a bigger it, fan of the, the sake of losing a trip to Columbia. I mean, for a new kick in September, you know, who could, would, that, who would can, that be Georgia's third protected rivalry though? Who could stand to, who could stand to get off of the fairgrounds in the <laughs> middle of uh, Columbia, South Carolina? I mean, yeah, I, listen, I, for me, there's two, the two protected. I think you got to go Auburn and Florida. I, I think you, you protect those at any cost. Uh, to me, that just makes the most sense. Um, it's the you know, Deep South's oldest rivalry. How can you just right. throw that you, you have away? To. You have to. Right. And, and, and Georgia-Florida is one of the greatest rivalries in college football up there with anything else. So you have to protect those two. Anything else after that, off the table, in my opinion. I, I, I'm not saying that I don't lo- love those games or whatever. But listen, I, I, would, it, would I rather watch Georgia play – uh, Oklahoma than Kentucky one year. Yeah, that wouldn't bother me in the least. I think that would be uh, very exciting. I think people would love to go out and, and check out Norman and hang out there. I mean, I, I don't see much downside there. So for me, if I'm picking two, I'm picking I'm picking Florida and Auburn and everything else after that. Hey, you know, we'll see you when we see you. So let me ask you this, Roos. Second or the the third protected rivalry. Who would you want to see? That protected because I'm assuming West that you're in the same boat there of Georgia Auburn and Georgia Florida as the two most prominent rivalries that need to be protected. Yeah, I I want Tennessee and it's right, only that's because kind of where I'm at too. like other than Florida, Auburn and Tennessee are the two are the two SEC schools that squirm the most about their rivalries because Auburn has to play Georgia and Alabama every year, Tennessee has to play. Uh, uh, Georgia and Alabama every year. So they're kind of in that same boat, but I don't care. And Auburn has already had so much moved around to their advantage from the SEC. You know, I want that rivalry to stay intact for multiple reasons, but that's one of them. And Tennessee too. I, I think historically speaking, the Georgia-Tennessee rival has meant a lot. And, you know, Tennessee built a lot of its success in the 90s on taking a lot of talent out of Georgia. So me growing up, a lot of my friends were Tennessee fans. I don't know if they were bandwagon fans or if they actually had a cousin or aunt or someone that went there. But to me, that rivalry out of all of them, other than Auburn and Florida, has always felt the most personal to me. 100% for me. Same thing. I mean, you got to understand, I tell people this all the time. I grew up on the, the state line of Georgia and Tennessee. I, you, to get to my house from Blue Ridge, you cross into Tennessee 32 times. Okay, we we it is it is as close as you can get without being there, and as a result, we had a lot of that same stuff, Wes. And so, you know, that's always been a very personal rivalry in my uh, life. Um, you know, I, I I love that game. It's uh, it's huge in my hometown, and um, I I would I would be sad to see that one go of all the ones that are out there. I mean, listen, I I feel bad because I feel like we are kind of. We're not well. We're not kind of. We're 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 absolutely saying like South Carolina considers Georgia a rival, and Georgia does not consider yeah. South Carolina a rival. I mean, that's 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 really the point we're making here. Because I mean, is anybody going to be devastated to lose a game with Kentucky or uh, Missouri? I don't think so. I mean, I, I would have a hard time. Or Vanderbilt, Jesus, I forget Vanderbilt. No, even in the Vanderbilt. Conference. I think Vanderbilt needs to leave the conference entirely. But that's <laughs> I could I could fill an I could fill a, an entire podcast episode on that take. No, and, I, and agree. I, I I agree with y'all on the Tennessee rivalry. Um, you know, again, it, it it's close to home for me, literally. Um, you know, being from Nashville, surrounded by Tennessee fans. Um, you know that 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 game does mean a lot uh, in the state of Tennessee. And, and to the people that have ties, uh, you know, to both Tennessee and Georgia. Uh, but, but like you said, we're, we're kind of throwing South Carolina to the wayside here. And, and for as much as Georgia is going to push to keep Florida and Auburn on its schedule, is South Carolina going to push to keep the Georgia rivalry on its schedule? Um, Probably. You know, obviously, that, that's, that's I mean, kind of where I, I think that else, South Carolina would end up as Georgia's third protected opponent. Who are you? Who else? I mean, if if I'm looking at South Carolina, who else are they trying to protect? I mean, you know, it's 
there's just really not Kentucky? a lot out there. I mean, uh, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know what they're I mean, if, if I'm like, them, I'm trying to, if, if, if I'm maybe. South Carolina, if I'm South Carolina, I'm trying to protect my Vandy. rivalry. <laughs> My rivalry with Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Missouri. <laughs> those yeah. are my three rivals that we I want to lock in every those year. Guys. <laughs> well, the conference, like, I mean, they, they manufactured the permanent crossover with A&M with them. Um, right. I, I don't know. doesn't really do much for me. Missouri and, Missouri and Arkansas think, made sense because they were old Big 12 opponents. Like that, right, I got that. Right. They're, they're close, but... The A&M South Carolina thing never made any sense to me. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was A&M's first conference game was against. It was. Was it against South Carolina? Yeah. 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 I don't. I mean, if if I'm if I'm playing the smart way, that's what I'm saying. Uh, give me Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt as my three rivals. We hate them. We will devote all of our energy toward those rivalries, and let's roll from there. But. Yeah, I think, listen, I think the Georgia game is big for uh, South Carolina, and I'm sure they will fight for oh, it. Oh, my bad. No, um, uh, A&M played Florida first. Was it Florida? I was going to say, it was either one of those two. Um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one. I, I think it's uh, how, that's, how that all gets settled is, is going to be fun to watch because somebody's going to get their feelings hurt inevitably. And, and I think that's that's the biggest thing with all this is that you know, the, the sentiment you've heard from the coaches, from the ADs, from the presidents is that ultimately you can't appease 14 or 16 people here. Um, you're you're going to – somebody's going to be upset. There's not a perfect model. Something's going to get lost here. You know, whether – you know, if we're talking Alabama, you know, are, are they going to play LSU every year? Um, you know, if we're talking LSU, are they going to play Florida every year still? Um, you know, how, you can't maintain, you know – LSU playing Alabama, Florida, Arkansas in, in, in their boot rivalry, while also you know making everyone happy. Um, you know, I, it just doesn't seem possible. You know, in adding two teams to the league, something is going to get mixed up. And, and I think that the coaches and, and ads and presidents have come at it with a certain list of things that they want met, but at the same time, they have they know that there's other things that they can't all, you know, they can't get everything met. Uh, you know, that, that some of it has to be given up for the sake of the conference. Um, you know, and, and it's not about Georgia. It's not about Florida. It's not about South Carolina. It's not about Alabama or Auburn when they're at these discussion tables. It's about the sec. Yep. I think yep. Kirby and, uh, Josh Brooks are definitely covering their bases, saying the right things because they know they can't really control much of it anyway, and it's going to shake out how it needs to. And um, as long as Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban don't rip each other's faces off in the process, they'll find a way, the SEC, to keep things on the rails, even through NIL and the transfer portal, because if any conference can do it, I think it's the SEC. All right, guys, uh, enjoyed it. Let's do it again soon. Uh, I know there's a lot of recruiting updates to come and, and a lot of Summer stories, it, there really is no off-season in college football, and especially not in Georgia football. So appreciate it, Jake and Palmer. Um, hope you all have a great week. Thanks, buddy.